Welcome to the Farmer's Trench Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. This is Season 5, Episode 26, published on August 29th, 2023. It is the end of Season 5. Time's really gone fast. Well, in this episode, we'll be talking with Stephen Gutowski from The Reload. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, so sit back and relax for a good conversation with Stephen about what he does at The Reload. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. All certified instructors can apply for FTA coverage. And remember, for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the team at Mountain Man Medical. Responsible fire instructors have trauma medical gear on the range and are trained to use it. Mountain Man Medical provides the highest quality name brand medical gear on the market at a guaranteed lowest price. Check out the Wind River Kit, especially designed for firearm instructors to have at the range. The Yellowstone is perfect to have on your belt or in your bag anywhere you go. Learn more at mountainmanmedical.com and scroll to the bottom and click on available discounts to learn how firearm instructors can save 15% off the already guaranteed lowest prices on the market. And don't forget to click on the training link to take the emergency trauma response video course for free. Get the right gear and the right training at the best price anywhere on the mountainmanmedical.com. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy in making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Stephen Gutowski from The Reload. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, for those people who don't know who Stephen Gutowski is from The Reload, can you give our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do in the firearm industry? Yes, yeah, certainly. I'm the founder of The Reload and the managing editor executive editor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I do most of the reporting and editing for our publication. We have a, a newsletter that we send out once a week that's free, and we have a, a member's newsletter that we send out uh, once a week that's not free. And uh, we also publish a number of stories, most of them free, and a number of analysis pieces where most of those are for our members. But I'm also a CNN contributor. So, um, you know, occasionally when they talk about firearm-related stuff, they'll have me on to um, give my analysis on it. And, uh, you know, I've been reporting on firearms for, oh gosh, probably about a decade or so now. Um, and writing for longer than that in the, you know, DC area. I live in Northern Virginia here. And I'm also a, a certified firearms instructor as well. Very cool. Very cool. So you can identify with our audience and such as instructors about how they're always trying to get better information for their students and trying to, uh, do best by everybody in America. So that's really great. Well, Stephen, can you tell us a little bit, um, what do you do? Uh, obviously you just said you're the editor and publisher mm-hmm. for the reload, but what, sure. what's your main focus of the reload? Yeah, we focus exclusively on firearms, politics, and policy, uh, especially at the national level. So, you know, whatever's going on in Congress or in the federal courts, Things like uh, things like the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin that came down last year. It's this huge decision that changes how the federal courts now approach Second Amendment cases. We cover things like um, President Biden's ATF nominee. We broke a major story on his first one that actually ended up leading to him having to withdraw that nomination. Um, you know, we, we cover uh, stories like the 
the bipartisan um, Safer Communities Act, which is what the name of the the gun control bill that they passed last year was in the, the wake of uh, the Uvalde shooting. So yeah, we focus on those sorts of issues, and we do it in a way that uh, where we try to be sober and serious about it. So we're we're focused on fact gathering and reporting more than we are on you know opinion giving or hot takes or things of that nature. There's a lot of that kind of stuff out there um already and i think there's not a lot of really good serious reporting on firearms and so that's the niche that we try to fill mm-hmm. why do you think it's so important to focus on firearms yeah i mean you know i think from both ends you see uh, significant problems with how firearms get reported on right i mean in, in major media you commonly have a lot of <laughs> disinformation or just factual errors constantly, right? I mean, I think everyone who's listened to this podcast, uh, if you're, I mean, if you're a firearms instructor, you probably know a little bit about firearms, I'm assuming. And mm-hmm. so uh, hopefully, right? And right. so you've probably read a news report or watched something on TV where the details are all just mangled and the, the terminology is gibberish, basically. And uh, there's a lot of um misunderstandings over even the basic motivations for why people want to own guns but also how guns function or even how our gun laws function and that's a real problem right i mean it's a real issue if the media can't accurately relay information to uh, readers and viewers because that's who they rely on to get their information right and so um you know part of my career even before this before I founded the reload, which is, uh, which is really new, right? I mean, we did started this in 2021, uh, April, 2021. So before that I was a reporter at the Washington free beacon. Um, I've written for all kinds of different outlets, the Atlantic, the, um, uh, the dispatch, uh, just lots and lots of outlets out there, national review. And, um, you know, my, my goal has always been to try and improve our industry on this, issue because it's just it's severely lacking and i I think uh, you know political bias plays into it to some degree but i I also think there's just a a really significant amount of ignorance that goes into there's just not a lot of understanding of firearms in uh, in most reporting circles especially when you get up to the big national uh, outlets and so that's where I've, i've tried to make a difference both by breaking news myself and also, you know, educating uh, as best I can as one person, other reporters on the topic. Mm-hmm. And you guys do a, do a good job uh, with that from, you know, what I've read on your, your uh, website and things like that, because uh, there's a lot of disinformation out there. One of, uh, one of the ones I just read last night said that there had been over 400 mass shootings in the United States so far. And I go along and just shake my head because anybody who is listening knows where they get those numbers from because they hobble together every single shooting, gang shooting, and other type that is, uh, you know, shoots more more than, you know, two or three people. And they call it a mass shooting, even though we know that there's been only a handful of them so far this year that, you know, truly are mass shootings, meaning they're not related to some kind of criminal activity or, or some kind of domestic dispute, but actually something happening in a mall, church, school, along those lines. So that's yeah. like, or you guys, you guys definitely, ha- you know, I go to it for the truth or yeah, your truth. I'll put it that way. 
Right. And that's what we try to, and I try to bring context to those sorts of numbers, right. With people mm-hmm. I try, like it's one, you know, there, there's a debate over how to define what's a mass shooting. What does it count as? There's no real government uh, definition for it. Um, most people I think would take your view of it, that that's more of a, you know, these events that you actually see covered on the national news, right. That those are more the mass shooting because you get this sort of, situation where most major outlets will use the the looser definition that you're talking about there that gets you to like hundreds and hundreds per year that's from the the gun violence archive we actually um and of course we try to be uh, you know we do our best to to interview people from all different points of view and all sides and uh just try to get an understanding from from everyone uh so you know try to have a a conversation about where everybody's coming from uh, and you know while also of course challenging people's beliefs. So we've had the director of gun violence archive on, on our podcast to talk uh, about some of his numbers and also some of the, uh, there was a scandal involving the CDC that uh, where they'd taken defensive gun use numbers off their website at the request of uh, the guy who runs gun violence archive and and some other um, uh, political activists. And so we, yeah, we, we had him on to talk about that, but regardless, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you get, you get those, this really broad definition that's preferred by uh, most media outlets, most major media outlets. Right. But at the same time, they don't actually cover most of those shootings, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like they're covering the 400 they're covering the, the uh, you know, six or seven per year that you get that are these major four or more people killed in a single incident in a public place, um, you know, uh, active shooter event. Um, You know, we don't even really cover, in in major media and national media, most uh, shootings where four more people are killed because most of those are actually, uh, sadly, uh, people who kill their families, and it's not right. a public uh, spectacle like like a mass shooting is. Um, and so, you know, it's important I think for people to understand these numbers and where they come from to so they can you know draw their own conclusions. That's what a reporter should be about doing, right? Is informing the audience so that they can make up their own minds. Um, and and I think that is an area where oftentimes um, a lot of other outlets are lacking in that regard. And again, because they don't <laughs> they don't know much about guns. They live in more liberal areas, you know, New York, D.C. Um, they're from there. They're surrounded by people who uh, lean to the left on these issues. They don't own guns. They don't shoot guns. They don't interact with how the gun laws work in practice. Uh, and where that's where I think we we're different, right? I I do all those things, right? I own guns, I build ARs, I teach people gun safety courses, and I think that informs my reporting. It makes it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, definitely because um, you know when you're when you don't expose yourself to the other views that are out there, you get into a group think to where you don't think about anything else besides what you've al- always been told, and you know. Quite frankly, when you look at other totalitarianism countries, you know, that we don't want to be like, they get into group think to where, you know, whatever the supreme leader says is what I believe. And that's where, you know, in our democracy, we got freedom of the press and we're able to go along and read, watch and draw our own conclusions, which, you know, on a lot of serious topics, we really should do our own research to make sure that we we're we're we know the 
issue appropriately for it before uh, casting a vote for it, because we could be giving up something or we could be going along and and uh, avoiding something, depending upon what our vote is that we cast. But we should be smart about it or else we're going to be, you know, three months after the election going to be sitting there saying, why did I do this? Because yeah. you're not getting what you want. Certainly. And and I think it, it cuts both ways, right, too, because uh, especially for gun owners, if you're only reading gun media, they might be, you know, honestly, gun media, I wouldn't, I, we don't do reviews, we don't do stuff like that, because there's so many places who are already doing that really well, mm-hmm. right, in, in gun media. Um, and there there's a lot of good gun entertainment channels on YouTube or, or wherever else. And, and, you know, we don't try to compete in that area because it's done well. But one thing that gun media usually doesn't do that well outside of there's a couple exceptions right not the reload's not the only one doing this this sort of work but we are one of the few that are doing original reporting on firearms that really understands how the political process works right you get a mm-hmm. lot of gun writers out there who understand how the guns work for sure better better in some cases than i do right um but they don't really understand how lawmaking works how the, the politics of this stuff actually goes down and that's another area where i think that the reload is set apart that we have uh you know a better frame of reference for that sort of thing because i'm here you know in, in the dmv in the near the capital and i'm talking with all of the important players from both the uh republican and democratic side the gun control uh, groups and the gun rights groups. Like I, I know I have sources in all of these areas. And so they help me have a good understanding of when something is really going to move and when something's not. Uh, and, and that's, I think, uh, an area where we are have an advantage over a, a lot of uh, gun publications that exist out there. Uh, so it's a, a similar idea as you know, we're, I think we're better than most mainstream outlets when it comes to understanding how guns function how gun laws work or even i mean honestly even how the gun the politics of the issue works uh oftentimes and uh you know we we also have that advantage over a lot of gun outlets because we have a better knowledge of how this the political system operates in practice here and what's really going on with this stuff so uh you know and we when we try to take that approach too that's more sober right it's we're not trying to throw hot takes out there all the time we're not trying to be sensational we're trying to give people the straight line facts of it mm-hmm. yep and there are those uh instructors out there that are more for the um entertainment value of it that you know as instructors we see them they're flashy they've you know do a lot of stuff that gets a lot of clicks on uh mm-hmm. on social media and there are those instructors out there that boil it down saying that you know somebody came to your house these are the skills that you need um be able to go along and do a backflip and you know stand on one leg and be able you know make a make a you know 100 yard shot probably not as as critical for you being in, in the house and i think that's where um you know your reporting is a little different than a lot of the other other ones it's not flashy but it is uh you know you you take a lot of time to make make sure it's factual and backed up by by facts because again you know you go along and i you know cringe when you see 400 mass shootings when they start off reporting like that because how many people look at that and start saying you know in the public and saying we got to do something about it without it even understanding what those 400 number number means it's the same mm-hmm. you know when they talk about number of 
deaths by firearms every year they talk you know they're in 45 to 47,000 per year are killed but you know as i go along and point out to people a lot of those are suicides that we never hear about and then the right. uh, there's a lot of them that that are actually gang related or crime related type and there's only a small portion that are related over to actual firearms uh you know people mishandling them and doing those types of things yeah but, and, shootings are a very small percentage yeah, for yeah. sure in comparison uh they i just uh, picked up a an article last week that talked about there's over 800,000 people every year that either die or are, or are injured by by doctors uh, misdiagnosing mm -hmm. things and you go along and think about it it's like you know if we were really going to try to go along and focus on the important stuff you know maybe maybe that's something that you know people should you know look at but at the same time it's not flashy it's not you know something everybody's talking about and uh you know it would take a lot to uh change the national focus uh over to something like you know medical malpractice away from firearms sure and and i think that the gun deaths point is important as well it's similar to the mass shooting count right because gun deaths the way they get reported on or uh utilized by you know politicians for instance uh the, the governor of california gavin newsom likes to likes to talk about how low the california gun death rate is and imply that that means that they their gun control um policies work at reducing murder when really that's not the truth of it because california has a very low gun suicide rate but a pretty average gun murder rate uh and and you know th this is the basic issue with how gun murders or sorry gun deaths get reported on in media generally is that they don't explain what they're talking about they they, they imply that gun deaths uh, in my opinion, oftentimes there's an implication that gun deaths are all gun murders. And as you mentioned there, actually, generally, two-thirds of gun deaths are gun suicides. And that's not to say, right, that that's not an important issue that doesn't need to be addressed, right? Um, it's the same with mass shootings. You know, nobody wants to see mass shootings, and we all want to find ways to prevent them. And there are going – the problem is when you lump everything together like this, uh, in order to try and get a bigger number to shock people, um, well, you're going to have less effective means to uh, actually solving the problem because the solutions for gun suicide, gun murder, and mass shootings and accidental shootings are all different, right? Mm -hmm. Presumably, they're all going to be pretty different solutions. And so if you if you try to lump it all together as one problem because they're all related to guns and then of course you're also sort of glossing over the, uh, the fact that not all suicides and not all murders involve a gun and there's still those are still uh, mm -hmm. a problem too not even all mass killings involve a firearm in the united states you get mass killings that are by car or by fire that those are uh, other ways that people use to kill several people at once and it's uh, obviously still a horrible thing that we want to solve just because it doesn't involve firearms doesn't make it less important. But, uh, you know, that's always my problem with it is this, you know, I don't mind people having whatever opinion they want to have about firearms and what, what should be done on the policy level or societally or whatever. I, you know, as a reporter, I want people to be informed about the, what's going on. And I, and I don't, I don't like when, 
um, the 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 general trend is to use misleading statistics. That's what I've sort of dedicated my career mm-hmm. against uh, to this point and, and for trying to give people a fuller understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. As the old saying goes, statistics never lie, but liars use statistics. Isn't that how it goes? That is because you, you know, again, glass half full or half empty and slice and dice things enough. And, uh, you will find, you know, something to prove your point, even if it, even if it is minuscule, you just have to frame it properly. And, uh, that's, that's one of the challenges in the firearm industry because everybody likes to go along and, uh, slice and dice those numbers. And it, and it takes a little bit of research to become informed and understand what's behind those numbers for, Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things where, um, when I've had walk the talk America on the podcast before talking about, uh, mental health for firearm owners. And yeah. it doesn't get talked about that much, but when not you as, look not as much as it should, yeah, yeah. because when you think about it, you know, gun owner, non-gun owner, doesn't matter. We all are challenged by mental health crisis financially, uh, you know, are spiritual, spiritually challenged or, you know, relationship challenged. There's a whole lot of different things that can put us into a tailspin, uh, very quickly. And a lot of those, a lot of things that I got to say, you know, where do you turn to? Because the biggest challenge when it comes to mental health is you don't go down to the emergency room uh, for the most part, and they can fix you up right away. Like it can with a broken bone. You don't call nine one one and say, Hey, you know, I need, I need somebody, I need a psychiatrist, psychiatrist to come over and help me out right now. Cause I'm, because I'm having a really tough time, you know, with my divorce, you know, we just are not set up like that, but at the same time, you know, could we? You know, could we go along and make mental health a little bit more aware, uh, you know, for people? Because I think one of the worst um, statistics that you can, you know, that you think about when they talk about 22 veterans suicides a day, mm-hmm. you don't hear about that too much. But think I, I've thought about that really hard from the standpoint of 22 people who s- spent time serving this country at war, doing things that this country asked, felt so desperate, alone, and that they, took their own lives you don't hear that much about it again in the news or anything else like that but that's one of those things to where we should be able to do better for our veterans and it's it really kind of kind of puts a point on the whole thing when it comes to mental health because going to war doing things you have to do for war that's gonna screw with people's minds without a doubt and you should be able to have those resources and if you're a firearm owner and you are you know going through some life events and it screws with your mind you should you know know that you can go along and get resources for it and those are all uh, important things that quite frankly the me- the mainstream media out there doesn't talk that much about and it's th- but we've got to bring it up in conversation make sure people realize that there are resources out there there are people that are pro-gun that you know are mental health professionals too and that's you know one of those safe areas you know that we can go to and not worry about somebody reporting us and losing all our firearms yeah absolutely and and, you know that's that's another one of the things you know i I, we obviously focus a lot on the politics and the, the legal aspect of guns in america but we also talk a lot about uh, you know, the cultural aspects of it, the, the mental health um, advocates trying to work with the gun industry or or groups in the, the gun owning uh, community to try and uh, come up with programs that 
will reduce, you know, more practical programs because there is that issue. This is a big issue, right? If you if you own a gun and you're going through a mental health struggle and you you think that talking to your doctor means that it's going to lead to your rights being taken away from you, that's a huge impediment, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And and doctors need to understand that and the gun owning community needs to understand how much of a significant issue this is and that there are things that can be done short of of course um infringing on people's rights and um and and that's why the rise of groups like walk the talk america or mm-hmm. hold my gun oh my goodness, are yeah. yeah are important stories in in my mind as a journalist right and so that's stuff that we cover we've we've had uh uh, people from Walk the Talk America on our podcast, and we've written significantly about this issue uh, on the reload. And we do that with all kinds of um, cultural issues as well. We do it with sports shooting, right? We do profiles of, uh, of athletes. I mean, these are these are athletes, you know, Olympic athletes. Oftentimes, they don't get the same kind of treatment that other Olympic athletes do. Um, you know, look at Kim Rohde and her incredible accomplishments uh, as you know, a longtime Olympic athlete who's one of the most accomplished in history, right? But doesn't get the same level of recognition. And so that's where we fill whole as well. Uh, we talk about the changing nature of gun ownership, you know, that, uh, and the gun business, right? Um, um, which is, I'm sure your listeners have seen that themselves over the last not you know a lot of people have been talking about you've gotten more media coverage over the last couple of years because it's really accelerated since the pandemic started but it's really been a trend that's been going for the last 10 or 15 years right you're Mm -hmm. seeing more uh younger people more women more minorities more urban uh, people who live in urban and suburban areas buying guns for the first time Uh, and that's changing the the face of gun ownership in america right it's it's not uh that stereotypical elmer fudd sort of demographic that i think a lot of people don't own guns and aren't in the aren't in the industry uh might picture right this old outdated not that i mean not that there's anything wrong with being a, a you know a rural white guy who likes guns there's that's still plenty of those dudes out mm-hmm. there um but they're not that's not the only type of person who's buying guns now and it's changing the industry but it's also changing potentially the politics of guns down the road right as as these people um come into the the gun owning community and they uh they they maybe get more involved we've covered a lot of this the rise of uh the um national african-american gun association Mm -hmm. the uh there's several asian american gun rights groups now um, you've seen some of these uh, gun rights groups that are focused in in the legal space, like Firearms Policy Coalition, have really uh, shifted their energy towards um, younger uh, gun owners. I think you've you've definitely seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely trying to capture more of that online uh, gun activists, gun rights activists sphere. You know, they've really connected with a lot of the YouTubers and and um and a lot of people out there and and that's and they've really made that a big focus of of their fundraising and their their membership operation um you know and and so these are these are cultural things that we cover that also of course play into the politics of guns as well Mm -hmm. yep there are a lot of different things when it goes on to understand how the whole gun issue is approached and it's more than just um 
you know, one gun issue and one person issue, because as an instructor been teaching for 13 years now, and I, you know, from the guys that were coming in for the early classes where they wanted to have that, you know, uh, concealed firearm license so they could carry when they were hunting or so that they could defend themselves where they were now seeing older citizens seeing minor more minorities seeing um you know suburban moms coming to okay. it because uh you know one of the things where it you know some of the some of the uh, uh some of the hype that goes around with all the crime that happens also goes along and creates new gun owners because people are like you know i live here i got to be able to defend myself and you know one thing i you know, I go along and tell them, you know, knowledge is always good to know how to use a gun, but at the same time, you've got to be, you know, aware of, you know, what's your chances still, um, mm -hmm. out there, uh, you know, make sure you still, you know, got a fire extinguisher in your house, make sure you still have, you know, first aid kit, different things like that, because you're still right. more likely to have a fire or go along and, you know, have some, have a severe injury, you know, falling down the stairs than you are from having somebody doing, a, doing a home break-in. And that's where, you know, live a safe life. And look at it not just as, you know, I'm going to get a gun, but I'm going to get training that will get me safely through whatever the situation is. Because one thing I point out to a lot of people I talk to is don't go along and think tonight somebody's going to break down your door. It, you know, ver mm -hmm. very, very rarely happens. But think what happens when the tornado comes through your town and all of a sudden 911, you know, doesn't work you know, phone wise, your, you know, your fire department's not showing up different things along those lines, um, hurricanes, natural disasters, because guess what? Those are the situations where it brings, it brings the best out in society and also the worst. And yeah. if you're not able some, somehow to defend yourself, to, you know, do some basic first aid going along and, and just do some basic, um, you know, shelter building until somebody can come and help you, um, it doesn't matter how good of a marksman you are or anything else like that. You might have focused on the wrong skills. Yeah. And, and that's actually part of that cultural change, right? The mm -hmm. I referenced Elmer Fudd right early because Elmer Fudd is a hunter, right? And that, and that was sort of what's, and you still hear this from some, uh, some politicians, right. Who, who think that the second amendment is all about hunting. Um, or that's the only reason that somebody might own a gun is you hear that from the president, right? Um, himself, oftentimes yep. he has, he tells the same sort of three or four jokes that are all pretty factually, um, way off the mark. But, uh, yeah, regardless, um, yeah, that was, that's the long time stereotype about gunners. Uh, they're old white guys who like to hunt out in the country somewhere and, and uh, that, while that was never really the only group of people who it was, you know, very reductive stereotype, like all stereotypes are, I guess. But mm -hmm. um, you've really seen a big change, not just in demographics, but also in motivation. Now, now, obviously, self-defense was has always been associated with gun ownership, but it's really become the top priority for gun owners uh, over the last in, in the same time period where we've gotten this uh, what what the industry and some researchers call gun culture 2.0, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, along with those demographic changes, you're also seeing motivational changes. People want guns for primarily for self-defense now. And you can even see this in, uh, if you look at the NICS numbers, the FBI's uh, National Institute of Criminal Background Check System, they break out what kind of guns people buy, right? Between long guns and, and handguns. Mm -hmm. And obviously long guns would be more associated with hunting or sport shooting, 
the, not that obviously you can use them for home defense, and I do, right, personally, and a lot of people do, but handguns are primarily bought. You can use those too for hunting and sports shooting, but they're primarily bought for uh, self-defense. And you saw a switch and uh, it used to be that long guns outsold handguns for a long time. And that's not true anymore. Um, and that switch happened, you know, a few years back. And, uh, you know, you see it in polling, you see it in uh, in this NICS data. You see, and, and that's that's another thing about how we try to, you know, not just report the news, but also analyze what's going on. We try to look for different indicators that are matching up with one another, you know, try to give people an insight into the reliability of these measures, right? Uh, polling has its issues. The NICS checks have their own issues. You know, if mm-hmm. you use just the, for instance, um, you might see people report on the raw number of, of NICS checks uh, as an indication for how many gun sales there were in a given time period, right? Because NICS puts out their report every month. And uh, the problem with using the raw checks uh, now is that um, some states, like, for instance, Illinois, will recheck all of their permit holders every month. Uh, they'll run a NICS check on you every single month just to make sure you haven't, you know, committed any crimes or what what have you uh, and ended up a prohibited person because they have a, you know, the the firearms owner identification card there, which which they require you to to keep in order to buy guns uh, and to own guns. So uh, you get these hugely inflated raw numbers. Luckily, mm-hmm. the FBI breaks these down with different codes so you can see what the checks were actually for and which ones were permit checks and which ones were gun sales checks. And the, the, the industry, the national shooting sports foundation, the industry's trade group goes through and does an analysis of that. And so we wait for those numbers to come out before we report on how many gun sales there probably mm-hmm. were based off the, the NICS checks instead of using the raw numbers. I see other outlets use those raw numbers and there's, you know, there's problems with doing it that way. Cause you're going to get these numbers that aren't matching reality. Uh, that are hugely inflated over what what the truth is, and so um, you know that that's another level that that where I try to set things apart. Like we have, I have a better understanding of all this stuff, and I try to impart that to people um, because you know a lot of reporting on guns, whether it's at conservative outlets or or mainstream outlets, is done by people who don't do it for a living. Right, mm-hmm. they're the general assignment reporters. They get assigned to do a gun story. Usually at major outlets, it's usually when there's a mass shooting, right? That's that's the main thing they cover. And um and so they're coming into the the topic without having a lot of knowledge about it. And um, so that's that's just another way by the fact that I'm do this for a living that that helps set our reporting apart because I can I can remember things that happened more than you know two weeks ago. Uh, and bring that up in reference to the story that's going on now, because, you know, all stories are are connected to something that's happened before, usually. And that, that can be good context for the reader. You might not get it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, that is for sure. What are what are some of the critical issues that you're following these days, um, you know, in the firearm space for 2A people to, you know, think about? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing right now that we've been following just on a, a macro trend is what's going on in the courts. Because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that Bruin decision has really shook up the lower courts and how they're approaching gun cases, which was a, the intention of the Supreme Court, right? They, uh, for a long time, you had several justices, especially Justice Clarence Thomas, 
complaining that after Heller, right, the the famous case out of D.C. where they said the Second Amendment is a protects an individual right to keep and bear arms, and that was a case about D.C.'s total ban on the ownership of handguns. Um, you know, for for a long time after that, the court didn't do much on the Second Amendment, and the lower courts, a lot of them, especially in the you know, obviously. There's only some some circuits that are going to matter much, right? The the, mm-hmm. the federal courts are split up into these circuits, and they cover a couple of states. And when it comes to gun laws, you only have really restrictive gun laws in a couple of of circuits because only the deepest blue states pass the most um, restrictive gun laws: California, Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, right? The Illinois, uh, you know. You, People know the states that are have really strict gun laws. And so all the court challenges to those gun laws are going to come through those states and they're all going to be in the same circuits. And so if you have the circuits where, by the way, the the judges are picked by recommended, at least by the uh, the senators in those states. So they have some say or some influence over who gets to be on the courts in those jurisdictions. And so. For a long time, those those circuits, like the Ninth Circuit being the most famous one, right? The California, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so the West Coast Circuit there, they, uh, at least in Clarence Thomas's view, had ignored more or less the Supreme Court's, uh, the thrust of their opinion in Heller. And Thomas complained that it was, a, they'd made the Second Amendment into a second class right. And I think that if I'm recalling correctly, don't hold me to this. People, you know, people maybe do <laughs> double check this. I'm pretty sure it's true. The, the Ninth Circuit had never sh- struck down any gun laws in California after Heller, between Heller and, and last year's Bruin decision. So you get the idea here, right? The, the court sees this all going on for about a decade. They finally take a case where they're going to, uh, you know, say something about this. The, the makeup of the court, of course, has changed in that time. Mm-hmm. You got uh, it got uh, more Republican justices on the court, more Republican appointed justices, at least uh, on the court. And so maybe a little bit more willing to go out and take uh, a Second Amendment case with, you know, Thomas and, and others more confident that they were going to have a majority and uh, in, in what they came down with. And so in Bruin, they, you know, they were deciding this um, case about that was specifically about New York's gun carry law, um, uh, which I'm sure a lot of instructors understand the ins and outs of that. But it was, you know, it was a May issue law. It was subjective. Basically, you didn't get a permit unless you had some sort of connection. Maybe if you had a specific threat against your life, like a stalker or something along those lines, you might get one. But the general gist was that May issue states just didn't give out permits, not anywhere near the rate that their, you know, neighbors that were shall issue states did. Um, and then uh, uh, they struck down that law, said it was unconstitutional, uh, but they set up a new standard for deciding Second Amendment cases going forward. And that that has created a huge sea change in the lower courts you've seen a ton of cases where the the pro the sort of gun rights plaintiffs have have won and they've tossed out even federal laws at this point even even uh things like felon in possession laws have come in under question uh in this new legal landscape that the the supreme court has created and, and of course they just took up a, a new second amendment case uh, called rahimi 
Um, it's uh, United States v. Rahimi. It's a case about uh, a man who's in Texas who's subject to, he was subjected to a domestic violence restraining order. Uh, he's accused of um, committing, you know, uh, I guess some sort of assault against his, um, the mother of his child. And there was a restraining order issued in the case. And he then was accused of committing a bunch of shootings. And so the police, because of the these shootings that had happened that he was accused of, that he's accused of being in, involved with and is charged with, um, they searched his house and found that he was had a gun, which is in violation of this uh, domestic violence restraining order, uh, which violated federal law. So he got prosecuted for that. And then the Fifth Circuit uh, held that the law itself is actually unconstitutional under the Second Amendment. So that's that's what they're going to decide. And it's probably going to leave uh, a lot of new guidance, I would think, for the lower courts on how to handle these sort of prohibited persons um, mm -hmm. cases, which are which are really important, obviously, you know, who can and can't be banned from owning guns. So that that's what we've been. I would say that's where most of the action is. There's not a lot going on in Congress, right? Because you got a divided Congress, um, you know, Republicans control the House, Democrats control the Senate and the presidency. So not a lot of reason to think there's going to be much movement there until the, you know, obviously we have an election coming up. That's going to be another big thing. Uh, how that all plays out will have a huge impact on gun policy likely because the parties are so far apart on the issue at this point. Yeah. Um, well, so. if, if listeners want to go back and listen to something really interesting back in 2020, uh, episode or season one, episode 66, well, 60, uh, 62, sorry. Can't read my own writing. Uh, I interviewed an instructor in New York city and mm. listen to it that that's prior to the Bruin decision and i'll just recommend listen listen to the episode because it gives you a kind of perspective of how new york city was and then go along and look up some of the things that new york city is doing now and yeah. to your point when it comes to what the supreme court's uh done you know they can't go along and uh you know fire a whole bunch of federal judges but at the same time they've made it pretty darn clear for it and the ripples are going to be going for a while as the politicians trying to figure out some way of uh skirting the issue and yeah. the judicial system is going to be going along and saying no according to the guidance we have and according to the constitution this is you know not going to be allowed to stand but uh nothing That's moves the other fast big fight too yeah, is the is these response bills that have passed after Bruin, like New York passed another? They basically tried to make it. They tried to make it so that almost everywhere is a sensitive place you can't carry, even if you have a permit. So that's been the next big fight since then. Um, we're definitely following that as well. Yeah, those those are very interesting ones. And uh, from an instructor standpoint, and I really want to stay on top of that. And when students are coming to you, old students are calling you up for information for it. Um, you know, I like to be able to point them to reliable resources. You know, I tell them, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so, you know, you don't hold this, you know, against me, but, you know, go to these websites, check out this information, check out, you know, the attorney general sites, those types of things, mm -hmm. because it is very critical from a citizen standpoint to know and understand the law and make sure you're not in the wrong place with a firearm making. Yeah. And, and conversely too, you know, we talk about, you know, not caring in the wrong places, you know, this quote unquote sensitive areas, but it's also 
uh, very important. Make sure you're carrying in the places where you can in case something does go wrong, because, uh, you know, a gun in the drawer at home does, you no good when you're out in the shopping mall or walking along the street, you know, those, those type of situations. And it's very complicated right now too, in, in those states that, that had those may issue laws like New York, uh, New Jersey, California, like, because in a lot of those states, they passed these new laws that made even, um, basically that you know, there's a, the concept, right? That we all know of, uh, you can carry on publicly accessible private property, like a store or restaurant in most states, as long as they don't post, unless they post a sign that says you can't, mm-hmm. carry, right? Well, these, these new laws, uh, in these deep blue states, uh, have flipped that around so you can't carry unless they post a sign which basically may in addition to all the other sensitive places they put in kind of makes it almost impossible to carry legally in most places and then th- all these laws are being challenged and losing right at the uh, and so you might have this thought of well okay this they lost this case that means that this law is not in effect well of course one of the problems with <laughs> with that thought is the way our judicial system works, uh, oftentimes the government gets a lot of preference. And even if their law is struck down as unconstitutional, uh, it, that ruling will often be stayed by the appeals court as it goes through this process. So the law will remain in effect, even if a judge has found that it's unconstitutional. And even if the Supreme Court is likely to agree with that finding, which we've seen in the New York case, they've already sort of indicated that they they think that the the lower court that found the New York's law unconstitutional is probably right. Even still, that law is in effect because it's still uh, going through litigation at the Second Circuit, the yeah. appeals court level. So you got to really stay on top of that now, stuff. Now, just give a listeners a little perspective. The Bruin decision took what eight years to make it to the Supreme Court, or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> It could be, yeah. That's yeah. That, I don't remember well, off the top of my head. I remember it, 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 it can be. Uh, they went ahead. along, and um, you know, Bruin was the uh, police commissioner at the time, mm-hmm. but it changed three times during that case as it went yeah. through the court system, yeah. and that's one of those things where, again, uh, you know, being educated and understanding that it's just because. Some things can get struck down in lower court, but anything big like that, they're always going to go for those, you know, restraining uh, to go along mm-hmm. and, you know, p- put a stay on it. And yep. then it goes to the next court and then the next court, everybody's going to keep appealing it until you know, either they're run out of money. And that's one of the, th- one of the things that, you know, two A people have to realize or it gets up to the Supreme Court, all of which, um, you know, cost a lot of money. And that's where yeah. like the second amendment foundation, um, when you, you know, listen to them, you realize that they are putting a lot of money where their mouth is. And one of the reasons why, um, file a uh, fire and policy, uh, coalition they're uh, how they're doing things because they don't have the money to do mass mailings to everybody in the world. They, uh, they focused strictly on legislation. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, those are, those are, uh, that's true for all kinds of stuff too, right? You, you've seen these Biden um, executive actions where he's tried to ban pistol braces or uh, ghost guns, so-called ghost guns, right? Homemade firearms, unfinished receivers. And even in those cases, you've seen, you've seen the, uh, him lose in court, but then the, uh, then it's been stayed. And right now, for instance, as we're recording this, the, the ghost gun ban, was uh, found unconstitutional by an, uh, a Fifth Circuit judge and was um, uh, there's no stay for that. 
uh, and um, and and the appeal, the government requested a stay, right? DOJ requested a stay, but actually got denied for the most part, at least for the the biggest, the most um, controversial aspects of the the unfinished mm-hmm. frame and receiver definitions. That isn't going to be stayed, apparently. Um, uh, but even that's a little bit in the air because they put this ten day temporary stay to see if DOJ wants to try and appeal this further up to the Supreme Court or something something of that nature. So it really is something where uh, if you're going to be dealing with anything in in that's involved in one of these court challenges or involved in one of these rules or laws, you got to be up to the day uh, if you're going to give out any advice on it, because mm-hmm. that stuff changes real fast. And even if you read the headline on a story, the headline says, wow, the, the, the ghost gun ban is, is unconstitutional, got tossed by a judge. Well, unless you read that story and find out that, hey, uh, actually, the stay, it's been stayed for a couple of days, at least, um, you know, you, you might give someone some bad advice. Yeah, definitely. A good conversation, Stephen. A uh, question that we've been asking all our guests this season is, do you have a event, class, or place that you think 2E people should go see or do sometime in their lifetime? Yeah, I got, let me give you a couple here. First off, uh, there's one coming up real soon here in Northern Virginia for anyone in the area out here, uh, Guns Out TV, which is um, a show that I really enjoy. I've been friends with those guys. They're doing a uh, range expo event at uh, XCAL, which is a brand new range out in in Loudoun County, Virginia. That's very fancy that I went to uh, for the first time recently that, that, I believe there that is in August, so it's coming up real soon here. People should look up details to that if they want like an immediate thing to do. I think it looks mm-hmm. really fun. Um, I think Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight is going to be there too. There, you know, some of these like YouTuber guys who are really popular are going to be there. But um, and then I would I would also say the Active Self Protection. Um, they have a a uh, like a retreat that they do. A, a yep, their national conference. conference. Yeah, the mm-hmm. national conference. And I do their podcast. I do the news update for them. But I've just always been a real big fan of their approach to training because it's based on, uh, you know, reviewing actual videos of actual self-defense incidents, right? Where, which is, uh, you know, that sort of practical aspect is not maybe as common as it should be in our industry, right? <laughs> uh, the, the firearms instructing industry. So I've Agreed. always enjoyed that stuff. Uh, and they do a whole a whole course on, you know, based on the videos that they've broken down over the years. And so they have a lot of great knowledge on that. And then just for real, for fun, like the most fun thing I've ever done, uh, you know, you go to Vegas and shoot machine guns, done a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, you know, shot shows great, but, um, there's an event called big Sandy, the big Sandy machine gun shoot. Some of you probably heard of it, but it's, uh, it's where machine gun collectors get together out in the desert in Arizona at this giant range, and and they shoot their machine guns and they've got a lot of really cool collector items uh, and they do a night shoot with tracers and they shoot at uh, like firework uh, targets and they fly RC planes around and shoot those down. You've probably seen clips from this if you're on like social media looking at just crazy gun mm-hmm. clips, but uh, to do it in real life and you can buy tickets and go to it, you could go buy tickets as a shooter or just as a as a spectator and that's probably the most fun i've ever had uh as far as uh at a shooting event so i think they do it twice a year check that out yeah i'm real close to uh, knob creek 
where they did yeah, machine similar. gun shoot. Unfortunately, they don't do that anymore. Last mm-hmm. last year was the last they uh, did it because the guy was uh, retiring. So we'll see. Hope we're. I'm hoping somebody will uh, reinvigorate that and do it. But those are mm-hmm. uh, there. It takes a lot of money to uh, mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff. Um, to say the least. Not to mention shooting a machine gun. You go through if you if you worry about the cost of a magazine on your Glock. Think about what think about what a can of uh, ammo, uh, belt fed ammo, uh, is, and how fast you can go through one of those in a M sixty or something else like that. Of course, if you have the money to buy an M sixty, uh, you might not have the financial constraints to need to worry about <laughs> <laughs> the ammo you're putting through it. But, but yeah, uh, that's why those things are. That's why the machine gun shoot is so cool. I mean, you can go to there's you know even Xcal has you can rent full auto. There's a lot of places that do that, and that's it's counterintuitively i've always found it was actually a good thing for like a novice to do because because they they have an rso that walks you through the whole process since that like if you're just going to send a regular person to the range without an instructor with them that's not a great idea right at a mm-hmm. regular range where they're just going to rent a gun and try to figure it out themselves so at least at a machine gun attraction you know the person they they're kind of babying you through the entire thing uh but you know you, you can do that in a lot of places the difference about those machine gun shoots, whether it was Knob Creek or Big Sandy, is like they, these are like collectors, right? And they've mm-hmm. got like collectors' items, right? They've got Vickers guns and they've got, you know, uh, real Gatlings. And they've got, uh, I remember there was a a captured, um, was a Type 92, I believe, is the, the Japanese. Um, they're not even belt fed, they're strip fed, right? Machine guns. That mm-hmm. was uh, a gift to Admiral Halsey. There was one of those. It, they just got all kinds of really cool stuff in addition to your, you know, 1919s and even your Maduses, which you can find around, you know, they've got really interesting rare stuff out there. It's sort of like a, it's like a living museum. Basically, you get to really interact with that history uh, of these yep. guns and the people the, who own the, them are, are those are really cool experts. shoots. And yeah. since most people can't go and uh, afford a machine gun. Um, they're a great opportunity to go there and spend a couple hundred dollars shooting, shooting a bunch of ammo. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I highly recommend it. It's a good, uh, range therapy. For sure. (laughs) Well, Stephen, where can people find out more about what classes you're teaching, what, uh, what you're uh, writing on these days and anything else that you're up to? Yeah. You head over to reload.com and, uh, you can sign up for the free newsletter that goes out every uh, Friday morning to keep up to date with the, you know, the latest of what's happening with guns in America. And, uh, we just had, uh, I just wrote for the members newsletter last week about, uh, a, a range day that I did for the national journalism center, which is part of, uh, the young America's foundation where they're, um, you know, they have journalism interns come through the programs and they work at different outlets, uh, here in DC. And I have one this year actually, but we, we also take them out to a range day and, and, uh, you know, teach them some of the basics about how firearms function. They actually shoot some guns. And then also, um, I talk to them about, you know, the basics of firearms policy and stuff you're going to run into if you're going to be reporting on guns. So try to give them a, you know, a nice foundation to work with, uh, mm-hmm. to do pursue this as a career. So, uh, you know, if you're a member of the reload, you can read about that whole experience, which is my, that was my most recent range day. Very cool. Very cool. Well, those links will be in the show notes as always. And again, 
appreciate your time, Stephen, and thank you for all the good work you do with the reload and keeping people educated about what's uh, going on in the fire industry. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for this episode and for season five. I really hope you found a conversation with Stephen interesting, and you might consider following the reload and the good work he's doing there. Do everybody a favor also, and go along and give us a five-star review on Apple Play or Google Play. Those are all great places to go along and let people know what we're doing and why you find it valuable. Also, if you'd like to reach out to me on topics, suggestions for guests, or any other kind of topics, you can reach me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Also, subscribe to the original Concealed Carry podcast, also the, the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, both of which are part of the concealedcarry.com network and have valuable information every week. And don't forget, the Guardian Conference is coming up here very shortly on September 15th through the 17th, Oklahoma City. Room is limited, so please go out there sign up and get some great world-class training links are in the show notes if you like our content don't forget to check out our website at farmtrainerpodcast.com where you can search for topics on over 200 episodes and that's 200 episodes over five seasons visit our sponsor special the farm trainers association ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance establishing your business was your first step your next step should be getting FTA coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast, support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.